0: I'll lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, uh, we pray that you would give us by the work of your spirit ears to hear your voice today, to love it, uh, to hold it dearly to ourselves and to respond in the faithfulness and dependence which indeed is also your workiness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me add my welcome to David's. Uh, I was aware of a minister in Sydney, he uh, told us of the story of where he uh, had put together a series on family in Luke's Gospel uh, and encouraged people to invite their family members. That makes sense, doesn't it? You know, come, come and hear about what God thinks about family and, uh, and, be, and to do that because we know that people come to trust in Jesus on the arm of a friend. Uh, don't we? And so the first <clears throat> the first week went very well and uh, we heard, you know, he preached on Jesus and his earthly family. However, uh, the second week was on this passage and uh, after that, uh, people refused to bring their family to church anymore uh, because when we come to a passage like this, it's confronting, isn't it? It challenges how we think and how we see the world and how we would like to see God. Uh, Well, at least perhaps it does. And the thing that it brings up for me is uh, the challenge of preaching. Uh, And not just the person who's, you know, up the front here on the preaching roster. I'm thinking about all of us. We all have the opportunity to... Uh, make Jesus known to other people whether they're people who know and trust him like ourselves or not yet. Uh, But there are challenges in preaching. Uh, The first is uh, the person that we preach. Uh, Jesus can't be just simplified down to a 10-word summary. Uh, And and as a person and as God himself uh, and the Lord who breaks into his creation Uh, it takes time to get to know him and he is not simply someone who affirms uh, what we already believe and so the first challenge is the person. The second challenge is reading a passage uh, of the Bible that helps us to meet Jesus the person because uh, we break up the passages like we do whether it's here at church or in your own reading at home and it's it's a danger that we will read a passage well instead of reading it literally we read it literalistically let me explain what i mean uh We do want to read the Bible literally. You know, sometimes, you know, you'll hear people say, oh, no, 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 we don't read it literally like that. Well, actually, we do read it literally because it's a piece of literature. It's a book and you read it like you read anything and you understand what type of writing it is and uh, its context. And you don't just look at the, the words and the sentence you're in. It's what's the context and what's the book and what's the overall message of the Bible. To read it literalistically is just to zero in and say, well, this word always means this, uh, or this sentence can only mean one thing, ignoring everything that goes along with it. And so we have to be careful about uh, reading and understanding the passage as God intended it. The next thing that's a challenge with preaching is the people. Uh, you know, I'll just pause there for a moment. Uh, The next challenge is the people, and I include myself in this. Uh, That is that we are each different, Uh, we are wired differently, we have different preferences, Uh, not to mention that we are all dealing with temptation and sin. And so uh, we shouldn't be surprised, we above all people shouldn't be surprised when uh, Jesus' words confront and challenge uh, what we may hold dear. Uh, in fact, uh, the same word from God might actually need a different response from you than it does from you because of your circumstances and who God has made you, even though it is the one word from God with one meaning. The other thing about uh, uh, preaching and people, I was reflecting on this when I was up at CMS summer school A few weeks ago, we were listening to Ed Lone preach on Galatians, is that uh, preaching doesn't just involve saying, this is what the passage says and this is what it means. Uh, We apply it. We go, what difference does it make? And that's not something that the preacher does, although the preacher does it. It's actually something that God does. His word always has a response that it requires and so we when we're preaching need to include that response but it is always there and the last thing the last challenge about preaching that I'll mention just now is that we've got an incredible uh, and wonderful message of the good news about Jesus but there's there's a divide isn't there between what you and I know about the message of Jesus and people who don't trust it and who think differently about it and who think it's an imposition that it's going to impair their lives. And when you've got something good, you know, it's like sales, isn't it? Uh, you know, you want to put a positive spin on it. And the challenge for us is, is there are very challenging and sometimes hard to hear things uh, that God says. We might have what we want uh Sometimes we need to hear what we need. And so I say all of this as we come to uh, Luke uh, 14, 25 to 35 today because I think this passage uh, is sort of, you know, really focuses, you know, like a, a magnifying glass focuses the light, you know. Uh, if, you, if anyone's ever done that with a piece of paper or something. Uh, I shouldn't be saying that with the Chips and Chut people in the room. Uh, so anyway... Uh, This is a passage that really heightens our awareness of all these things. And it is a call to radical discipleship, to radical following of Jesus. And so turn with me to chapter 1, verse 25. Uh, Let me read uh, this bit out to you. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus and turning to them, he said... If anyone who comes to me and does not hate uh, father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, what's before us is very significant. And each word contributes uh, wonderfully to it. The first thing that strikes me is the very first word. There were large crowds following Jesus. Remember, he said this to a large crowd. And why is there a large crowd? Well, if you remember back in Luke, Jesus's been uh, uh, doing extraordinary things he's he's driven out evil spirits he's healed the sick he's fed 5,000 men plus the rest he's he's raised two people from the dead the widow's son and the ruler's daughter and so anyone who's hearing about it they want to get on board they want a piece of this action they want to meet him and perhaps they too will have an extraordinary experience in their lives through him. And so it describes Jesus turning to these large crowds, uh, physically turning, but with what he says, they might have felt like he was sort of, you know, he was turning on them by saying something so strong and harsh. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, brothers and sisters might be, you know, we might find that easy to hate our brothers and sisters from time to time. I hope not. Uh, but generally, what Jesus is saying here, I was talking, that was a joke. <laughs> this is being recorded, so we just need to be clear. Uh, so. These are generally the nearest and dearest to us, the people who know us the best, the people we know the best, that we care about, that we would go uh, the extra mile for. And Jesus is just saying something that is just so confronting. He then goes on to say, because there's two things he says, he talks about relating to family and then he talks about carrying a cross. And remember, this was before Jesus' own cross, though he was heading in that direction. But to speak of the cross was to speak of an instrument of torture, of enslavement, of tyranny, that the Romans wielded against all they ruled over. And so to see someone carrying their cross or carrying the crossbar that would hold them up on the cross was to see someone who was as good as dead. And Jesus is taking that reality and placing it on our shoulders now one of the things that uh, you know having started where we did and talking about literally and literalistically it's important to realize that the language of hate here uh, we want to hear it for how strong it is and we don't want to diminish it in any way but we also want to work out what exactly does he mean Because you and I can think of times in the Bible, can't we? And it's there in the Ten Commandments, let alone the times it's repeated, where it says to honour your parents and to love your spouse and to uh, not frustrate your children. And so there's this tension between, well, what does this mean when it's spoken like that in that wider context? Uh, There's more to the meaning of hate uh, than just perhaps our initial Uh, reaction of thinking about emotion or hostility. Uh, But we'll come back to that because I think the best way to understand what Jesus is saying is to read on because he explains what he's saying using two pictures immediately after this. The first is verse 28. You can go to the next slide, Doug, back to the heading, thank you. Uh, Verse 28, Uh, suppose one of you wants to build a tower won't you first down? Sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it. For if you lay the foundation and aren't able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, "This person began to build and it was and he wasn't able to finish." Uh, and so, what we see here is this—you know—this picture, not just of. I don't think he's just saying, "Oh well, you don't want to be embarrassed." Uh, but he's actually saying, if you're going to build a tower, uh, and it's a, you know, it's 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 a significant structure. Obviously, you want to start building with the end in mind. You're looking to have uh, the functionality of a tower that works. And both you and the people, the other people who are involved, will miss out on that if you don't see your decision through. And so get sorted upstream. (laughs) Sort out the issues here before you've progressed down here. The second one is, suppose a king is about to go to war. Clearly this is even more serious. Uh, Go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Terms of peace. And so, again, Jesus is saying there are choices to be made in our lives. There's uh, observing and reflecting to do and there's weighing choices. Of course, the king has a choice here. He can... He can take the risk and go into battle on the basis that he would win against this uh, oncoming king or, uh, recognising the strength of the other, he could actually negotiate uh, a settlement that would not put lives, those of his soldiers, even he himself perhaps, at risk. And so... What Jesus is is getting at here, or what he's saying, actually helps us to understand what he's talking about when he comes uh, to what we read in verses 23 to 26. Uh, And the thing uh, to recognise up front is that hate doesn't only have one meaning. It has a range of meanings and you understand what the meaning is in its particular context. Again, don't hear me diminishing this, Uh, just helping us to uh, deepen our understanding. And so Jesus isn't so much talking about uh, uh, emotions as he's talking about priority. He's not talking about hate in the sense of hostility as in the sense of choosing one thing over another. Now, I'm not making this up, Uh, this is part of the range of ways that hate is used in our English versions to understand uh, the original text in the Bible. And so uh, a place where I thought it might be helpful to go to, because we uh, looked at it at just at the end of last year, is Malachi chapter 1. In Malachi chapter 1, uh, the Lord says through the prophet Malachi, was not uh, Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob but Esau I have hated. When we were looking at that passage from the Old Testament, the last prophet of the Old Testament, we were reminded that it's its not that God was just, you know, emotionally hostile, uh, but rather instead he made a choice. He had a plan that he would work through a family line and he chose it to be through Jacob's, which was surprising, rather than through Esau. He chose one over the other and the consequences followed. And so what Jesus is saying here is that he and following him should shape uh, not just a part of your life or be an aspect of your experience but shapes your whole life. Uh, It's it's radical uh, discipleship, isn't it? And what he's saying is What you say no to makes your yeses count. And that doesn't mean that you can't, uh, well, in this case, let's take this example. uh, it, It doesn't mean that you can't love your parents, your siblings, your children, but rather in loving Jesus first and above all, He will shape how you love them. And each other, and so uh, I don't know whether you've thought about it very much, but that can actually lead to quite different outcomes, because particularly, and I, I don't think I need to tell you this, you know, the the sort of air we breathe at the moment is that you are loving me if you are positive and affirming about the choices I make, whatever those choices might be. Uh, But through the word of God, we know that some choices are wise, some are foolish, some are good, and some are evil, as well as some of them, you can do this or do that, it doesn't matter. But to affirm someone's decision when it is not good for them, in the eyes of God, is not loving. But it can come with blowback, can't it? People can respond in ways that are unpleasant, that we'd rather avoid, And sometimes you're just not sure how people will respond. And so what Jesus is challenging us with today in the midst of this great invitation of experiencing the forgiveness and grace of God that's throughout Luke's gospel is that uh, there may be times, there may be people, even your nearest and dearest who would rather that you allow them to be your, their, your master than Jesus to be your master? Using that language, I did think it was helpful to mention Luke 16 and it's in the other Gospels as well. You know where Jesus talks about you cannot love God and money. Uh, you can't serve two masters. You'll either love the one and hate the other. Uh, it's a perfect example of what's being talked about here. And so we need to be reflecting, uh, we need to uh, be accepting the challenge of Jesus, uh, whether uh, you have accepted and begun to follow him a long time ago uh, or you are considering it even now as we speak, uh, that there is a cost to following Jesus Uh, in the world's eyes, and we feel it as well, don't we? We would rather avoid uh, pressure from other people. We would rather have the respect of our peers. Sometimes we'd even rather get ahead of our peers. (coughs) Uh, There are times we would like to be activists. Uh, There are times we would like to have the the wonderful toys with bells and whistles that we can have in our homes and in our lives. Uh, But Jesus is saying here, are you willing to give anything up? Are you willing to give everything up? Because that is what it means to follow me. I wonder if you stop and reflect now. And I, you know, if you're willing to uh, share with me uh, later on, I'd be uh, super keen to hear what reflection came to your mind. What is it you would find hardest, that you do find hardest, to give up for Jesus? Jesus calls for radical discipleship. Uh, he, he, he says, I'm not just a part of your life, I will be your whole life. I will be master over everything. You, there is nothing that you can keep locked away and keep away from me. And of course, this whole passage is really saying, have you thought about that? Uh, on this journey, uh, whether you're already on it or uh, considering starting on it, have you counted the cost? Are you willing to say no to some things to make your yeses count? If your family and your nearest and dearest wanted you to do something that would put them over your priority given to the Lord Jesus, which would you choose? Jesus says in verse 33, in the same way as the king, as the tower builder, Uh, Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Now, there is a word of warning here. Uh, Have you ever had decision fatigue or decision lock-up where you're faced with a decision and weighing the consequences It can be so overwhelming that you just find you can't make a decision? Uh, anyone had that experience? Uh, <clears throat> Those of us who felt that more acutely may well be sitting here listening to Jesus and going, well, I can't decide to follow Jesus. I can't be his disciple until I'm certain have thought about everything that that will be and all the consequences. And I want to say to you, I don't think Jesus is saying that. He's not saying don't embrace this incredible invitation to know God's forgiveness, to know him, to be Uh, a member of his people here. But he is saying, let's be realistic. Uh, He's putting things up front so you and I know what we're getting into. You only have to look at what people did to the Lord Jesus to see where this can end. Uh, Dave and I were talking during the week, he was talking about a, a leadership book that he had read recently by the Heath brothers, and and one of the comments, uh, one of the stories they told was how uh, uh, this organisation, employing people for a call centre, would play to them a recording, you know those, you know, you may be recorded for training purposes while this is going on, and to cover ourselves legally, if uh, you know that helps us too. Uh, They would listen to a recording of a very difficult conversation. Uh, And sometimes you and I have been, uh, you know, the person on the other end being the difficult conversationer. And they did that and then said, well, do you still want the job? And what they found was the people who had heard that and sort of knew uh, uh, the, the crazy difficult end of things, if they said yes they were more likely to stick at it and be resilient and stay on and they had less turnover of people than the people who hadn't been given a realistic set of expectations and I take it that's what Jesus is doing here. He's trying to, he's recognising that we as people, if you offer us health and wealth and wisdom, which some people will present Jesus as offering now, wow, I'll grab that in an instant. Heal me. Heal me. Feed me. But he is saying that there is a time and there will be difficulty uh, until we die and see him face to face or until he returns himself, where we need to revisit the journey we are on. And so we come to uh, those final verses of the passage here, verse 34. Uh, Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile, it is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, a lot's been said and written about these verses, but I want to remind you again, because we are reading this rightly so, literally, that it's in the context of what we have been reading and it's talking about, Uh, discipleship, a radical view of discipleship. And uh, the thing about salt is that you and I, in our experience, you know, you go to Woolies, you get your salt, Coles, I guess, as well, if you're a coal shopper. Uh, You get your salt and you know that it'll be, anyone know the chemical name? Oh, we're doing it that way, are we? Yes, NACL, sodium chloride. And what you get in the bottle is sodium chloride. And it works and it tastes salty, but Uh, Things weren't as refined in the days that uh, Jesus was talking to his disciples here. And so you could have something that is called salt, which for one reason or another uh, doesn't work effectively in the way salt should anymore. Uh, And at the end of the day, I think this is what he's saying here is, you can call yourself a disciple, but unless you are willing to give up everything for Jesus... You're not a true disciple. With the invitation, give it up. Give it up for him. It's like McDonald's. Uh, You know, if one of us were to go and set up a Golden Arches, uh, the lawyers would descend on us, uh, and Golden Arches and call it McDonald's, the lawyers would descend on us very quickly, wouldn't they? You can't do that. You don't have the right to use that name, to use that brand. But the challenge is that we, when we hear Jesus and are thinking about our relationship with him, we can bring our own expectations about what that should look like. And what we need to have happen in us is to have our expectations shaped by his expectations. Discipleship, which means following Jesus, growing in him, that looks like what he wants it to look like. But the wonderful thing is, having heard this challenging word, it's also a comforting word from God as well. Because while we might lose our life now uh, by putting him as master, uh, we will gain Christ We will gain Christ. I couldn't help but thinking as I was reading this passage of Paul's words in Philippians 3, verse 8. And I wonder whether he might have been thinking about these words of Jesus as he wrote to the Philippian church. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Count the cost. Is Jesus worth it? Exceedingly so. Will it challenge perhaps our expectations, our preferences, uh, even our our love and and desire to be with those who are nearest and dearest? Yes, even that. Uh, And yet, uh, we've talked about the story before of uh, those missionaries who went from uh, North America to Ecuador uh, years ago uh, to preach the gospel to the indigenous Indians uh, who were in Ecuador. And uh, they were received uh, what they felt like was reasonably warmly when they first arrived. But within a few days, the message to confirm their safety uh, amongst people who were considered quite dangerous, uh, was not received. And when they went uh, after them, they found that these uh, missionary men uh, had been killed by those they went to give the invitation of the gospel. Uh, they four went their spouses, their children, for the sake of following Christ. Uh, And one of them, Jim Elliot, who I've mentioned before, it was found in his diary that he had written these words. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What did Jesus say? He said, there is no one who has given up mother or father or brother or sister or husband or wife who will not gain many more in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' radical discipleship is true discipleship. It is good. He is good. May we be people who trust him. I'll lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven you meet us and you challenge us uh, you challenges us you challenge us to think differently about ourselves and about you and about one another. We pray Heavenly Father that you would write on our hearts that true discipleship uh, that places you first, And your good word and your good gifts uh, and springing from that loves and cares for and serves in appropriate ways those who are our nearest and dearest. And we pray this all for the honour of his name. Amen.